Hello, welcome and kumusta. My name is Hao and I am your occupational therapist and welcome to my podcast entitled OT Conversations. This is a podcast about occupational therapy and any other topics relating to the field be it medical foundations or philosophical foundations, some of my personal and professional opinions and point of view. I am hoping that through this podcast, I'll be able to help out occupational therapy students and clinicians to navigate their way through their clinical practice involving occupational therapy. Right, okay. So... Um, going back, um, just to an introduction. So I'm I'm walking. We're like news re- uh, reporters here. <laughs> I am walking with a, a student okay. uh, who is uh, uh, spending the day with me in critical care. So at the moment we're we're walking and we're looking at some of the patients in in, in critical care. If we look at this case scenario in here, what do we have? We have. We have a monitor. Well, yeah, this is BIVAD too. Okay. Is it BIVAD or ECMO? Well, that's the one thing that we need to see. That's a balloon <laughs> pump. That's a ventilator. Yeah. Okay. Can we do washing and dressing? Definitely not. Definitely not at the moment. Okay. Can we do anything else? No. No? Okay. If we're spiritual, we can pray. <laughs> that's the only thing. That's the morning. Yeah, and it was like, yes. Yeah, if that's the only thing we can do for the time being, and hope. Okay, so that's something that that we can do. Uh Aha, we are looking at our gentleman, who is who's got a laptop. Okay, but in critical care still. So that means I'm sure uh, in critical care, if Mm. you've got someone like him, Mm. and then Mm -hmm. he's looking at laptop. Mm It's not about um, ADL. Mm-hmm. There's some other activities you can do. Uh-huh. You can do like games with them. All right. Yeah. To keep them more mentally relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be too bored, like being in the hospital, like, mm-hmm. and kind of like interaction, like just to have like an interaction, mm-hmm. conversation, and to help them like cognitively. Uh-huh. So with him, you can still do stuff with him uh-huh. because... He can do laptop, he can do, let me see if he's got, like, yeah, if he can operate his laptop, uh-huh. definitely he can do, like, puzzle. You can even do, like, um, things on the table with, with him uh-huh. or, like, um, stuff as well, like, things to keep him um, orientated. Yeah. Like, um, maybe, like, you can put a clock in front of him mm-hmm. just to know the time of the day. Yeah. And you can have a um, calendar as well, something to look look around to mm-hmm. know the date, yeah. at least to know, not like just to help him so that, because I then like sometimes if you don't mm-hmm. use your brain, you start getting confused mm-hmm. and you start losing yeah. like a lot of yeah. things, like just to keep him like mentally and like oriented, okay. you know, and um, activities as well. I think very good. Yeah. You, I think you have the, the gist of it. Mm-hmm. That's good. But don't you think the laptop is giving him all the stimulation? It is. It is. It's giving because he can watch movie. He knows what is going on. And on the laptop as well, he can tell what the the time is and the date as well. That's very good. Yeah. Okay. So that's quite good. You know, I think it's quite true. Somebody who is awake in critical care, uh, you look at their potential to do some Mm -hmm. things. Um, But it starts with us knowing, is there something wrong? Mm -hmm. Do they find it as an issue that they're bored? 
or do they find it that you know are they are they deprived of activity you know because i could come to this guy at the moment who's got a laptop i don't know but we'll only know once we go and ask but i could come in and if he says there's no concern, I'm happy doing yeah. what I'm doing, then mm -hmm. there is no, no there is no concern. Yeah. And I think as therapists, as occupational therapists, you only provide therapy to people if they if they don't want to. If they wanted to, and if there is a problem that they are seeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you start to have the therapy if you identify a problem or if the patient identifies a problem themselves. Can I say something? Yes. Does yeah, you're actually right, like doesn't want an activity, does it? That's why we come to them, introduce ourselves. Exactly. Try to find out information from them. Exactly. That's where like the information gathering comes from. Yes. So from there, they will be able to tell us mm -hmm. what they want, exactly. what they need. Yep. And from there, we're able to know what kind of solution Correct. we can actually provide Very good. to help them. Yeah. So the first part of the occupational therapy process is identifying a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is there a problem? How do you know if there is a problem? Exactly. If you go and ask them, mm -hmm. but before you ask them, you get the consent. You have the consent. Yeah. yeah. And then, if they consent, well, they don't know what you're going to be doing as an occupational therapist. Yeah. So what they would do is, you need to explain to them what your role is, is. because it's only then when you when they know what your role is, then they might say, oh yeah, actually, I have a problem that you might be able to help with. Yeah, so advocacy mm -hmm. of occupational therapy is going to be a constant and an ongoing, going on. going, it's a, it's, it's a professional long, not lifelong, but professional uh, long commitment that you need to do. Yeah. You will always have to promote what you do. And I think um, one way as well is through referral. Mm -hmm. If they've been referred to us, before we even go, we gather information from what has been sent to us yeah. to know what they've been referred for. Uh -huh. Like, that's where you do your initial uh -huh. thing. So when you gather your information, even though before you see the person, you know, then when you go there as well, mm -hmm. you still find more information from them. Like, you introduce your role, what you're here for, and then from there, you can still gather information with the information you've already gotten mm -hmm. from, like where they've been referred mm -hmm. from. That is with the understanding that those people who are referring to you mm -hmm. knows what you do. To do, yeah. Because if people don't know what you do, they will not make that referral. They won't, yeah. Yeah. So, again, that's where uh, this outside, outside that process, it will be a lifelong commitment for you as an occupational therapist in the future. Mm -hmm. to really be promoting your profession. Profession, yeah. And to be able to promote that profession, you need to be confident and you really need to know who you are. You need to know your professional identity, identity yeah. to the core. Okay, we're carrying on and we're walking, looking at patients. So that person is awake, is alert. This person is still on a lot of support. Support. Okay. And this person is on a lot of support as well okay so that's that we've done a round of the half mm -hmm. we looked at some of the patients and we talked about the the limitations what is limiting we looked them? at the the, the machines mm -hmm. that's stopping us from doing something mm -hmm. okay now we're going to use this and we're going to talk about a model 
of occupational therapy. Okay. Uh, which I am sure you've tried reading about it, but it's almost difficult to understand, isn't it? Yeah. The, uh, the model is called Ecology of Human Performance. Yeah. What it does is it tells us that for a person to do the things that they needed to do or the tasks mm -hmm. that are important to them, which is occupation and occupational concerns, yeah, anything that a person does, for them to do the things that they needed to do, the context need to allow that to happen. There is always a transaction or a battle between the person and the context. Okay. Context being situation. The situation they are in. Yeah. So what are the contexts? How do you understand context? Um, like the people we've just seen now. Yeah. For them to, I'll just try. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. For them to be able to, like now, the context they're in right now uh -huh. can allow them to do their occupation. Uh -huh. like that's why I can, yeah. So it depends on, like, is actually limiting them to perform their occupation. Mm -hmm. Like, some of them have got a lot of things going on. They've got a lot of attachments. They've got things that... So that is actually things that is limiting them yeah. to kind of perform their occupation at the moment. Uh -huh. And does that influence the things that you can do with a patient? Yeah, it does. Like like the washing and dressing thing. You can't do <laughs> you that. You can't do it with them. Uh -huh. Like, okay, with patients, sometimes you want to do like functional assessment with them, like see how they like maybe walk from bed, how they get off from bed, they can't do it can't at the moment that. because they've got the situation they're in right now is limiting them from performing their cool. occupation. Very true. And that is the context, yeah? Now, let's define these contexts. So context, in other words, are, are situations. Mm -hmm. There are many situations that can affect a person from engaging on the things that they needed to do. Yeah, okay. you're right. So the first context, and we're very familiar with this context. And when we understand context, it's always the environmental context, isn't it? In a lot yeah. of training, in the uh, CMOP, it's always environment context. And you think it's the home environment. Home environments, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, that's true. That's true. And yeah. so you can, you know, the context will influence what you can do with a patient. Mm -hmm. Home environment, yes. Steps, yes. Yeah, but where we are now, it's not an home environment. But also, it it's is an environment too. It's an hospital. It's a critical care yeah. environment. Yeah. So the context now will have an influence on your intervention. Sure. Yeah, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If this person is stable and out in the ward, you can do it. You can do it. Like the people we go to see, they are already out. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do it. Like the people we go to see, you can do ADL with them. Uh -huh. You can still do functional with them. Yeah. You can do cognitive because they'll be able to answer questions when you talk to them. Uh -huh. So like they can still, even if they can't do everything, but there's still some things that they can do because yeah. they're already out of this situation. Because the environment is allowing you to do that. Yeah. So environmental context, mm -hmm. that will affect a person's engagement. The other context that we are forgetting are the context called temporal contexts. The temporal context would be one, for example, it would be age. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. 
So age is a temporal context. And like, for example, somebody who is, uh, and you have two types of age. You have chronological age, which is your, your age. Your real age. Your real age, your body's age, chronological age. And then the other age that will have a factor in what you do is the um, developmental age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, for example, if you have a patient who is 45 years old, mm-hmm. but is functioning at the age of two years old. That's like developmental. That's a developmental age. Mm-hmm. Would you expect this person to be independent with their toilet hygiene? No. Probably not, isn't it? Because two years old. Because they're functioning like a two-year-old, not like a 40. Exactly. So that's still like depending on you to do a lot of things for them. Would you expect them to cook? No. Would you teach them to do cooking? No. No, because (laughs) the limitation Mm -hmm. is two years old. It's two years old. Yeah. Yeah. And what can you do then? (laughs) The only thing, I think that's a good thing Uh. because... I've got an autistic child. Of course, yes. She's nine. Um, yeah. She's going to be nine. Uh-huh. But things you expect uh-huh. for her to do at that age, she can't because uh-huh. she's got developmental problem. Okay. So what, what I can do with her is like things of that developmental age. age. Yeah. Yeah. So you can teach them how to play. How to play. You know, like stacking perhaps. Exactly. Sorting out. So developmental age has a factor in... Uh, in your treatment. In your treatment, yeah. Yeah? Okay. And, and thank you for sharing that, actually. Um, so that's one. So, so we talked about two contexts. Environmental context. The other one is temporal. temporal. One is age. Yeah. Okay. And you have two types of age. Another part of the temporal context is the, uh, the terminal nature of the condition. Okay. So um, that's um, the terminal... It means um, the, sorry, I'm trying to. Yeah. It means um, how critical exactly. the condition is. Exactly. Yeah. How critical the terminal nature of the condition or their current medical situation. Yeah. Or the acuteness of the, the, the condition. It depends on how the condition is. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And this condition will have a factor. On their performance. On their performance. Or on the things that they can and can't do. They can do, yeah. Isn't it? So we've had a walk around and you can see that there are some people who is acutely unwell, okay? Mm-hmm. So after the operation, they can't do much because they're getting a lot of heart support or their own respiratory. So the term, the condition itself is stopping it's you from, from doing, doing a lot of things. From doing some things, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, that's true. Okay, so that's it. So the, 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 where you are in the sequela of the condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then another one would be the nature of the condition itself. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. It depends. For example, maybe someone that's got Parkinson. Yeah. People that have got Parkinson, even if they want to do it, they get tired easily. Yeah. And there's a limit they can do uh-huh. because of the energy uh-huh. and the tremor they have, uh-huh. like holding things, and it actually affects their brain yeah. as well. Yeah. So, yeah. That's that's it. And um, yeah, and maybe like someone that's got diabetes as well. Yeah, it will have a factor it will on have what a you factor can do. On what they can do. What, 
all those or those people who's had a severe head injury. Oh yeah. You can't do anything because whatever you do, it'll always be affected. You'd be limited by that head injury and the severity mm-hmm. of that Good condition. Way. I remember, you know, when I was working many, many years ago, uh, somebody who's had a, the arm is not moving. The left arm is not moving. So I tried to treat the hand to get it moving. All the techniques that I was doing, like restorative intervention. So I was moving the left, the left hand, trying to move it. And then after a while, I was like, I realized, why is this not working? Mm. Yeah. And then I realized the person had a right craniectomy. What's that? They've removed half the right side of the brain. Oh, so you couldn't get the... So whatever I do... It's not going to... It's not going to work because the brain that controls the hand... It's not getting the signal. It's not even there. Isn't it? Yeah. So that was... It took me about a few days of, of working and thinking, yes, I'm a therapist. I'm going to get this moving. And come on, move it, move it, move it. You know, I'm encouraging the person. You can do this. You can do it. And the person was doing only for me to realize the command center is not there. So that's a context. That's the, the nature of the condition. The condition. Therefore, you're going to be left with this. You know, you're going to be left with a problem in the hand. Okay. So we've spoken about those contexts. Yeah. That is, has a lot of influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so temporal context. We've talked about environmental, environmental context. context. Okay. The other one is the socio-cultural context. Yep. Yes. Should I try and have a go? Sure, sure, sure. You're welcome. So when we talk about cultural, um, that's like where you come from. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to... Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So like maybe your, in your culture... Uh-huh. There's some things uh-huh. that you can you can do. Uh-huh. It might be your religion uh-huh. or anything that is. Uh, for example, I was going through. Um, yeah, some some of the yeah cases. So yeah. I saw, like medically, it's not really like I'm. I'm just using it as an example. Like okay. this person is a Jehovah Witness, uh-huh. so they don't take bloods. Uh-huh. So. I'll be like, that's a cultural thing because you can't give them blood because of that belief. Yeah. If I'm right. That's right. Yeah. yeah so sometimes your cultural might kind of have influence on the things that mm-hmm. even though you can, you want to do it, but you can't do it because of your belief or something. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's true. It has an influence on what you do. Like, for example, I have worked in, in some cultures where the sick people are looked after by family members. Yes. Like, uh, like in a in African generally, country as well, yeah, yeah. Generally, Asian African culture. Mm-hmm. So, ADL retraining then is not gonna work. It's not a priority of the person because even if I do the retraining, the person doesn't want to be independent. There are people because there'll be people that would be doing it. Mm-hmm. So you can see how this is influencing our intervention, isn't it? Yeah. That's so, true. so that's that. Another one is another culture where, uh, you know, like, for example, toilet hygiene. So they've had a, a, uh, a stroke and the left side is slightly impaired. Mm-hmm. Personally, they're independent. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. because they can wipe their bottom using their right hand. Mm-hmm. But for them, they are not the independent thing. because they wanted to use the left hand because the right hand Did, is against the thing is used for eating. Eating, and they don't want to do that. So you can see the intervention then. It's not gonna work. Even though the person is already independent, isn't it? But you know what you can do. Uh huh. In that kind of situation, yeah. What comes to my mind is okay, fine. If they don't want to because of thing, I think what you can do is like beaded tap. There's a beaded um toilet seat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yes. a beaded that exactly. you can sit on that can help you. So that will solve the solution. Correct, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But there you go, and that's an option. So your cha- you, so your intervention then is influenced by that. By that. Okay. So we've looked at these uh uh like factors that's in that's limiting a person's engagement mm-hmm. yeah and this is ecology of human performance the performance will be affected and influenced by the context by the context and whatever you do you have no control of things because it's the context that is dictating that mm-hmm the person will always have to be transacting with the context. Context. Does it make it clear? Yeah. It's like yeah. you're having like a transactional thing. So kind of... Yeah. It's so nice. It's this, so practical, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Now, so that's the basic premise of ecology of human performance. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's nice about this model of practice is that it also dictates or suggests five areas of treatment. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And I will go with this in the acronym of RAMPS. Okay. R-A-M-P-S. R-A-M-P-S. Yeah. Okay. Five so it's, areas. So it suggests this type of intervention. So R stands for restorative intervention. Restorative. Yeah. Restorative. Sorry, can you repeat again? Restorative. Okay. You restore. Restorative, yeah. Yeah. So you restore the physical problem. You restore the cognitive problem. Problem. You restore the sensory problem. You restore the perceptual problem. So, um, for example, in terms of, I just want to, so that I can, if you say you restore, like someone that's got a problem with sensory issues, maybe put things in their mouth. Sensory retraining. Yeah. So, like, oh, and there's some people, like, they like to smell uh-huh. everything. Uh-huh. Because I, I have, like, an old tea uh-huh. that came to see my daughter. Mm. She puts things in her mouth, she smells, mm-hmm. so she, and she bites. So mm-hmm. she said, maybe in, to restore that, we should get, like, a chill body. Uh-huh. So instead of putting things, just anything, she can easily or bite when she's having that urge. She can easily chew on that. Uh And in terms of smelling, she was like, if I can get like a very strong smell Uh in the house to kind of calm. So is is it like, that doesn't, an example of your restoring. Mm. Is that that right? Um, I think you're talking about sensory integration and sort of sensory normalization. In some ways, that is a restorative intervention because you wanted the child to have a normalized sensory processing. Yeah. So that's why you are providing all of those. In So that's a restorative intervention. That's correct. And okay. this is, we're talking about uh, 
uh, uh, pediatrics here, pediatrics. where so the approach is kind of developmental. Develop, yeah. But that's fine. So okay. sensory and so that's one way. That's correct. Right. Um, in in the in the context of the hospital. In the context of the hospital, the restorative intervention is if the person is weak, you strengthen them. You strengthen them. Yeah. If the range of motion is limited because of, uh, you know, contractures or some incidents, then you do some passive stretches to get that range of motion back. Exercise. Exactly. If the activity tolerance is low, so your endurance is low, you build up the endurance. Yeah, by doing things slowly and slowly and extending the amount of time that the person is doing it. Yeah. So that's restorative intervention. And this is now shared with our colleagues, physiotherapists. Mm-hmm. You know, that when people say, oh, OTs and physios, they kind of do the same thing. They don't. Only because of that restorative component. Com- component, yeah. Yeah. When, if, if, you're, if your attention is impaired... You provide activities that will resolve the attention. Attention. If memory is impaired, you do something that can stimulate so that the person will have a uh, you know improved the memory. Improvement. Yeah. Memory. If judgment is impaired, you do a uh, um, you do like a, a restorative intervention to have that judgment, the the processing. You want you want that to improve. Um, so that's restorative intervention. Now for ADLs. If they cannot dress, if you practice dressing mm. so that they can dress, that is a restorative Re- intervention. Intervention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you cannot cook and you practice cooking directly, is a restorative intervention. Yeah, you restore. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, on the patients that we've seen earlier on, for those who are in critical care and have developed weakness on the upper limb, mm. if I give them exercises to increase the strength the on the strength. upper limb. That's a restorative intervention. Interventions. Yeah. All right. Okay. A stands for alter. Alter. A L T E R. And this means that the person, what you do in terms of this, by the definition of this model, right, is you don't change the person anymore because you can't do it. But what you do is you alter the environment so that it will accommodate the person. Like an adaptation. One is that. So, for example, a person can't go upstairs and can't live upstairs. You adapt and made it so that it be a downstairs living. Like a micro, like micro environment. environment. So that is alter intervention. So it also means that if you want a person and they can't be safe at home and you start to recommend the person to go to a care home. Yeah. yeah. That is an alter intervention. Uh-huh. Yeah. The person still lives, but they're just not safe. But you That's make recommendations. Home as to where they would go. So it's an alter intervention. intervention. Yeah. By definition, it's when you start to make recommendation as an OT that this person needs to go to a care facility or you change the entire environment to accommodate the condition and the, mm. the condition, that's an alter intervention. We're okay there? Yeah. Okay. Moving on. M stands for modify intervention. Yeah. So modify intervention is a treatment and intervention where you change the way a person does things. Yeah. So if a person had a stroke and the left side is impaired and they cannot wipe and say say the right side is impaired 
and they cannot wipe their bottom using the right side, and you teach them to wipe their bottom using the, the left, left side, side, that's a modify intervention. Yeah. If they have had a stroke and you start to teach, they can't do uh, put on their clothes using their normal way, and you teach them one hand dressing technique. Yeah, like um, even if, like someone that's got stroke, if they want to take off their clothes, they go with the yep good one first so that it should be easy for them. Yeah. 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 Then if you want to wear your clothes, you use the bad one first. Put so, it on yeah. the bad hand first. Yeah. Hand, bad hand, over the head, yeah. and next to that. So that's a modify it's, intervention. It's intervention. Yeah. You teach them, but you modify the techniques. Technique. So that's one way of modify intervention. Mm-hmm. Another method for modify intervention is when you use adaptive aids. Yeah. Like sock aid. Sock aid. Well done. Race toilet seat. Race toilet seat. Yeah. yeah. If the problem is they have difficulty and you want them to be able to do it with ease and you use a sock aid to do that, sock aid. then that will be a modified intervention. Grabber. Exactly. So all of these that you're doing will then fall on the category of uh, modified intervention. Yeah? Yeah. We're, you're with me so far. Yeah, I am. Good. And then... So we've done R, restore, alter, modify. Um, onto the fourth treatment is called preventative intervention. Okay, yeah. preventative. So prevent intervention is like, it looks like restorative, it looks like modify intervention. But. Can I give an example? Yeah. Like maybe you've got someone from like um, maybe you've got someone that kind of climbed on the window uh-huh. maybe still I'm just saying for example uh-huh. and you feel like it's not safe uh-huh. so in order for you to prevent them uh-huh. from kind of I mean yourself uh-huh. you can use something to kind of block that thing correct so that it to stop them yeah from altering themselves. So that means like you're preventing yes. arm in a way. Cool. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So that's like an environmental modification, isn't it? Yeah. It looks like it's a modification, but why would you modify it to prevent problems, problems. from taking place? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why you would do the preventative intervention. Another way is, for example, uh, so this is where you use adaptive aids. For example, I give you a perching stool. Mm-hmm. To when you're uh, when you're um, uh, having like uh, grooming, grooming to stop you from falling. From falling, yeah. That's a preventative intervention, and yet it looks like a modified intervention, Mod- isn't it? Yeah, it, it kind of looks the exactly, same. Exactly, yeah. Or it like lo- shower chair. Yes. In the shower. To stop you from, from yeah yeah. If your purpose is to prevent things from, from happening, happening, then that becomes a prevent intervention. Sure. Yeah. Another way, like for example, somebody who's had a stroke, yeah, and you know that the person is not moving the hand anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that guy that I mentioned to you who had a hemi- hemicraniectomy, yeah. then I realized, hey, I'm not going to move this hand anymore. We can't get this person moving this hand. But I still went on doing some passive stretch- stretches with the guy. Yeah. Why did I do that? when I know that he's not going to get the movement back. It is to prevent contractures from developing. Okay. You see? Yeah. 
and it looks like I'm restoring it, but I'm not. No. I'm no longer aiming for so this restored. this person to move the hand anymore. I am now aiming for this person to actually, uh, you know, to prevent the joints from seizing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So, yeah. Yeah? Are we clear on that one? Yeah. Both. Okay. Very good. Um, right. And then the last intervention, S, stands for supportive intervention or create intervention. Yeah. And in here, this would involve any actions of occupational therapists that is geared towards uh, promoting or facilitation of change. You want to facilitate change. You want to create opportunities for the person to carry on improvement. Is this where we can say um, kind of activity analysis? Uh, create intervention, it would me fall on, on when you start to make referrals to the community. Okay. Like, for example, the person needed follow-up therapist in the community because they're not yet, they're not yet, uh, okay. they're not yet at the level where they need to be. Mm-hmm. And you ask a person to, to you, you ask another team to come in. So that act of referral, okay. you are creating you are supporting oh, okay. the circumstance to take place. You're a facilitator of, of, of change by putting in... Something in place for them. Something in place. It's like when they get discharged from hospital and you feel like they still need like therapy input uh-huh. when they get to the community. So that's like an example. You make a referral yes. for a community OT to see, go home and see them yeah. and do like things with them. Yes. Yeah. Facilitating. So that means anything that you do as an occupational therapist would really matter mm-hmm. and would have an outcome. Outcome. Isn't it? Yeah. Because there's nothing that you won't do that will not fit in one of these categories. Yeah, that's true. Isn't it? That's where our outcome measure comes from. Pardon me? Outcome, like when you do your outcome measure, isn't yeah. it? When, you know, what you've resolved the problem, problem. how did you do that? Yeah. You know? Uh, another part of supportive intervention is again is say for example I use uh, I use activities you can have psychological support so that's the kind of thing as well mm-hmm. so that would be a supportive intervention sure. you know when you're using you know the psycholo- psychological techniques that we use, we use you know okay. that's to support the emotion of the person okay you might be just doing supportive conversation to prevent the person from getting depressed depressed and that's preventative intervention you yeah. know. Uh, but technically, that's where all of our interventions would fall under. Okay. And this is the only, by far, the only model that is expressing... It's so broad. It's expressing what occupational therapists can do. Can do. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's very nice because now, wherever you go, you see a person, okay... You can see what the problem is. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do with this problem? Mm-hmm. Are you going to restore? Or modify. Are you going to modify? Or alter. Or alter. Or prevent. Or prevent. Or support. Or support. And that will be dictated by the time that you are allowed to work with the person. person. Yeah. So now we're moving on to treatment planning and to treatment interventions. Yeah. Okay. So you see a person up in the wards, for mm-hmm. example, 
if the person is the one that dictates the time is is their medical status okay if they're medically fit they need to get out of the hospital yeah yeah mm-hmm. but if they're not functionally fit they can't you, you need, need to put something in place and they say you need to get out of the hospital mm-hmm. so what context is stopping you now it's the social cultural the social yeah And social cultural context is is the nature of where you are, mm-hmm. isn't it? The yeah. nature of the hospital. The hospital. So it means that if you're only allowed three days to work with this person, and they're not yet at the level where they are in terms of their washing and dressing, mm-hmm. what's your treatment? And they need to get up. So, if you've done. Because yeah, so let me give a, an example. Mm-hmm. Like what you say, like they're not there yet, and you've done like ADR assessment with them. You've tried to like see, prepare the prepare their environments and see like if they can if they can do it, but if they can still do it. So I think that's where you kind of say, ICT carers to go home to help them for a few weeks and see within that weeks if they will be able to do things as themselves. But if not, then You kind of extend it mm-hmm. to kind of still like getting that thing. Plenty the time, like they will be able to do it like independently, even if they can't do it the way they used to. But at least they can still manage uh-huh. to do it. Uh-huh. Am I right? So, what was your intervention then? My intervention was providing, like, no, in terms of the ramps. So, in terms of the when you referred them to the community therapy team. I'll be like supportive intervention. Correct. Yeah. Because you were only given three days to work with the patient. Patients, yeah. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. You cannot guarantee safety, but for a short period of time where that's been dictated to you and you have no other means but to actually support because you cannot do it. Do it. But if you are working in a rehab facility mm-hmm. where you're allowed to work with a person for a long time, for two months, Can you do the washing and dressing training? Yeah, you can do it. And if you do that, what intervention would that be? I'm thinking to, is it that restorative? Restorative. Yeah. You can do that. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Because if you know for certain that they can be independent with a lot of practice. Practice. And to be able to restore that, you need to make sure that the mind is intact, the body is intact. Uh, I think just that, the mind and body is intact and is capable. capable. And the structures are intact. That's what I meant about the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's restorative, restorative intervention, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But what if, for example, somebody comes to you and, uh, for example, um, they have limitations and it's fixed limitation on their hip mm. that they cannot bend. They can't bend the hip and they can't put on their socks. Mm-hmm. And you have two weeks or two months to work with this patient. How are you going to teach the person to put on their socks? That's where the um, modify. Yes. It's like using the sock aid because they don't need to. Yeah. Bravo. Well done. I give you a round of applause. Correct. Isn't it? Yeah. So you just put in, you teach them, you do ADL retraining. Mm-hmm. It looks like a restorative, but you used adaptive aids. Aids, yeah. So it's a modified, modified intervention. Modified intervention. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I think 
I think that is our conversation when it comes to this model of practice. And now it will dictate what we do in an area like critical like, care. Okay, yeah. All right. Do you enjoy the conversation? I did, and I learned a lot of things. All right, Thank very, very good. Much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, Kim, I'm calling you Kim. Uh, and uh, thank you, thank you for this session. And uh, we'll we'll talk again throughout the day. Uh, that's that's end of part one, I guess. Yeah. If you enjoyed this podcast, talk to your friends and colleagues about it. Like it, subscribe, share, and do what you can to appease whatever algorithm that is at play. I am but your humble clinician, albeit with years of experience, I have very little understanding of this digital world. So if you have any questions or if you have topics that you want me to talk about, drop me an email. It's riot.conversations at gmail.com. Just remember, guys, anything you do matters and has an outcome. Until next time, bye.